0: Welcome to Houser Community Church Online. Let's join pastor as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and unpacks the Word of God for us. After the message, we'll tell you how to contact us. How oh, great are you, Lord, and worthy to be praised. As we sing that last song, we acknowledge that Jesus, you alone, are the only one who can be called our rock. You are the only one that can lead us into paths of righteousness. Your love and your grace, Lord, is truly amazing. And we're humbled to be recipients of such a great salvation. We thank you, Jesus, for, for instituting something as simple as communion, or something as simple as baptism, things that remind us to hear and taste, and see, and touch the gospel message. We thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness for our sins, and the truth that not only did you forgive us of our sins, but you are presently, by the power of your Spirit, cleansing us from all unrighteousness. You are making us look like Jesus, and we thank you, Lord, we want to spend time this morning lifting up before you the schools and the teachers and the students as they start back this week, both public and private and homeschool. Lord, we pray for your protection and your presence. Lord, we ask that you would be with the teachers um, as they prepare. Lord, would you grant them an abundance of wisdom and love and patience and focus and energy Lord, we ask for the Christian teachers that you would be with them in a a mighty way to reveal your love to the students so that they would see Christ reflected in, in these teachers. We ask that they would live in such a way and speak in such a way that those around them and in their classrooms will be drawn to you. Lord, I ask for opportunities for them to share the gospel, ask that you would give them a mind to do so creatively and boldly. Lord, we pray for the students, that you would help them get back into the the rhythms of school. We thank you that you had given them rest, and that picture of rest we see in the Bible, and we see that ultimately, Jesus, you are our rest, and we thank you for that. But Lord, it's time to work now, and we ask that you would show them that you would call them to that, that you would give them strength and the ability to do so. Lord, help them to live boldly for Jesus and share the gospel with the lost around them. Lord, we acknowledge that temptations are meeting our students constantly. They're they're strong, but Lord, you are so much stronger. You are God Almighty. So we ask that you would increase their faith in you, Jesus. Help them to walk by the Spirit. Lord, be with them and be with the parents in this season. Help them to lead their families biblically and in truth. Lord, we thank you that we live in a a place where we can have education and we can learn. We just ask that we honor you while we do so. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us this morning by your spirit, that you would grant me boldness and clarity of mind to share your truth with your people. We ask that you would save the lost this morning, that you would turn back the one who's wondering. Lord, help us all to look like Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, church. You realize we kind of mixed things up on you a little bit this morning. I wanted the passage in the forefront of your mind um, so that we could. Oh, yeah. Is that a bell I hear? Oh, it's Ron. (laughs) Thanks for the reminder, Ron. (laughs) Oh. Kids bell. Yes, kids, you are released. Well, it's great to be back with you this morning. Um, Yes, I want to say thank you uh, to Rob and Dan for filling the pulpit while I was gone. Um, I feel that our church, we're so blessed with men who can proclaim the word of God faithfully, and it's for that reason I'm able to go and And help others um, in places like the Philippines and Belize this year uh, to equip the global church with what we have been blessed with in the States. Um, Things that they don't have access to, education that they cannot receive. Um, It's a a blessing to go and do that. And I want to say thank you, church, for allowing me to go and teach for these last two weeks um, i know i 've been traveling a lot this year, and I appreciate uh, you allowing me to go and do that for those of you who don 't know i 've spent the last two weeks in Belize. I was teaching an apologetics course uh, I did two week intensive course at the college. I felt kind of sorry for those kids because we just crammed a whole semester in two weeks. And uh, they tested, they did midterms and finals, and and they have three papers to write. But um, that's what I was doing. And this is the school that I was at in Belize. So they started this school about eight years ago, and they now have an associate's and a bachelor's program. They're working on accreditation. And what they set out to do is equip young men and young women to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever the Lord decides to take them. Uh, in public schools, in the pastorate, in missions. They're adding uh, electronics, uh, electrician program pretty soon, an ag program. Um, and the mission is not just the college. The mission is also starting a break. They're about to break ground on a primary school for special needs children, um, the only one in that area. They started Emory Grove community or Christian church, as you see, um, see those seats? No complaining, church. They're sitting on sea channels of metal. Um, and no one complained. So we get to sit in these comfortable chairs. Just remember, if you get a little uncomfortable today, um, what they were sitting on. This mission also has a water station. I think the gauge behind that says they've given out 250,000 gallons of water Um, clean water to the the community around them because what a majority of them are drinking out of is out of a hole something like that. And uh, that fence is there to just keep the the dogs and the hogs out, really. So um, they're able to provide that service to the community around them all the while proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. They plant churches, They have a radio station that reaches the area. They conduct camps and much more. And there's wonderful opportunities for us as a church to partner with them and advance the gospel in places that have never even heard the good news of Jesus Christ. But you know, church, we can be super busy for the Lord. And we can be involved in ministry, and we can give to missions, and we can go on mission trips, and we can help out. But if we have not received the Spirit of God, if we have not been born again, the work and the life that we have will be cold toward the gospel. John Wesley, uh, if you know that name, maybe it's familiar, he had all the, all the makings to be a godly man. He was raised in a godly home, had a godly father who was a pastor, a godly mother who wrote widely about the faith, went to Oxford University, he, got a doubler, he was a double professor of Greek, whatever that means, ordained to preach in the church. He was part of a club known as the Holy Club, because they were so serious about looking like Jesus or looking to look or live spiritual lives. They were called the Holy Club. He, he even accepted an invitation to go to the United States, to Georgia, to minister to the American Indians, a mission that utterly failed. And while he's there, he says, I went to America to convert the Indians, but who shall convert me? While he's there, he meets a group called the Moravians, and their faith just shook him. He said, I've never experienced a faith like that. He said, I'm clearly unconvinced of my faith, of my unbelief. And one evening he found himself in church listening to someone reading the epistle to Romans written by Martin Luther. And he said, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given to me that he had taken away all of my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. And it was at that moment, years after we would have expected, after he had been ordained, after he he had taught in college, after he'd done all of these things, that he realized, I'm not even a Christian. I need Jesus. Then he started experiencing the regenerating work of the Spirit. Church, there are many people who confess Christ, who look like Christians, who talk like Christians, but have no fire and no passion for the kingdom of God. True belief in Jesus as Messiah is evidenced by the presence of the Holy Spirit. So what we're going to do this morning, we're just going to ask us, ourselves the same questions Paul asked those in Ephesus. We're just going to turn the questions around and ask ourselves at. First is, do we only have a part of the gospel? Look at the, the word with me. If you don't have a Bible, there's one around you. Like I tell you all the time, if you don't have one at all, uh, you can have that one. Go to Lost and Found, pick one out if you like that one better. Or go to the bookstore and take one of those. We don't mind. I want you to have the word in your hand. But we're in Acts 19. Hear the word of the Lord. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus where he found some disciples. He said to them, Do you have, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him that is Jesus. So we begin with this group of disciples. He Luke says that they're disciples and the debate among scholars is are these disciples actually believers? So just like anyone, we don't know the heart. We can't say this person is a believer, that person is not a believer. We can only say um, with any real certainty that we have two, two items here in this passage we can understand. First, their instruction is incomplete. Even though they believed in God and they believed that they needed to repent and they were looking for a Messiah, they did not believe that Jesus was that Messiah. Maybe they had not heard of Jesus, I don't know how, they must have been like ostriches with their head in a hole, Um, but they were not Jesus' followers. Secondly, they had not received the Holy Spirit or even heard of the Holy Spirit which is promised to all those who believe as part of John the Baptist's message. He said, uh, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. He's talking of Jesus, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So we do know that these disciples needed to acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah. They needed to be baptized in his name and receive the Holy Spirit. So here's where this meets us today, church. We have heard that Jesus is the Messiah. We do have the complete canon of Scripture right here, so we can't say, I did not know. And we understand that the Holy Spirit is given to those who believe But many who say they believe look more like the disciples of John the Baptist than the disciples of Jesus Christ. You have heard the message of the coming Messiah and you know I need to repent so that I'm not caught in anything when the Messiah returns. I need to look good. So salvation boils down to, in your mind, living a pretty good life and waiting to get to heaven. But that's not the gospel. If you've only said, I want to live a better life and I want Jesus to take me to heaven whenever I die, you have yet to understand the gospel. To believe the gospel, to receive salvation, we have to confess that Jesus is the Christ and he has already come. He has already accomplished all of this. You confess he is the full He's fully God and fully man. You confess that he lived the perfect life, fully keeping the law of God and the law that you keep breaking. You confess he died to pay for your sin, the penalty that you could never pay. The debt was too big. You confess he's resurrected from the dead. He defeated sin. He became the firstborn of the dead so that you could receive eternal life. But that eternal life doesn't begin when we all get to heaven. That eternal life begins at the moment of salvation. And you confess he ascended into heaven. And he is presently seated at the right hand of the Father and he is reigning right now and he is destroying the kingdom of darkness until he returns for the last time and he makes all things new. And because of all of that, you submit your life to following him as Lord. You agree to die to self and live for Jesus. So we need to Ask ourselves, is this what you believed or are you only a disciple look lookalike? Are you only striving to live better and waiting to get to heaven one day? Or are you finding salvation is actually now? That I'm actually being delivered from sin now? That I'm actually dying to self now? Or are you still living however you'd want to live and you're just waiting for Jesus to return because you remember one time you said a prayer and you believe I can live however I want and then when I, he comes, I'll be okay. Is your faith in the completed work of Jesus on behalf of sinners or are you still trying to earn salvation? And if you're not sure, we just keep reading the passage and asking ourselves questions like Paul does. He says in verse 2, well, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And I don't mean speaking in tongues and prophesying as we see here. Pentecostal theology has taken this verse and verses like this. They've said you have to speak in tongues if you're going to receive salvation. If you're truly saved, that's what it looks like. That's neither biblical or healthy. There are four Pentecostal or Pentecost type of events we see in Acts. We see it in Acts 2, in Jerusalem. I want you to remember Acts 1.8. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, okay? We see it in Jerusalem, where they speak a different language. We see it in Samaria. We see it with the Gentiles. And we see it here in 19 with dispersed Jews. We see it four times. Three out of the four, we're told that people speak in tongues. We know that speaking in tongues in Acts 2 looks like speaking in different languages, but speaking in tongues was not a normal thing that happened all the time at this, at this point. Paul didn't speak in tongues on the road to Damascus. The Ethiopian eunuch doesn't speak in tongues at his conversion. The, the jailer or Lydia in Philippi, they do not speak in tongues at their conversion. So what's going on here is these groups are speaking in different languages uh, because the gospel is breaking out in these key areas in the the local realm. Just like Jesus says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's what we're seeing. They're like many staging posts for Acts 1-8. The gospel is exploding in these areas. These many Pentecost type events are revealing the movement of God from the Old Testament covenant of repentance and expectation. We were repenting and waiting on Jesus to the new covenant. He's already come and salvation is now. But to boil this down to this only means speaking in some unintelligible language is to do a great injustice to what God is doing in Acts. This is this this huge movement of the Spirit in key areas. So when I ask you the question, and Paul asks the question, did you receive the Holy Spirit? I mean, have you been fundamentally changed by the presence of the Spirit of God in your life? The Spirit, has He convicted you of sin so that you have felt the weight of your sin and you're broken over it because you know that it's rebellion against God. As Jesus says, when the Spirit comes, he'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and justice and judgment. Has the Spirit brought you to the truth so that you've confessed that Jesus is the Christ. Paul says, I want you to understand, no one speaking of the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit? Has the Spirit created a longing in you to fellowship with Jesus, to spend time with Jesus? Has the Spirit empowered you to follow him? Is the Spirit producing fruit in you like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Has the Spirit given you the desire to learn and study God's word? But the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Is the Spirit killing sin in your life? If you live by the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Is the Spirit reminding you of who you are in Christ? The Spirit himself bears witness with our own spirit that we are the children of God. Is the Spirit equipping you for ministry and building up the church? To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The Spirit is the power for the Christian to live the Christian life. Do you know that power? And I don't mean, do you never struggle? That would be nonsense. But do you know the power of God in your life to live as he has called you to live, to rely on him? Maybe you've quenched the spirit to the point where you do not even hear him anymore. I'm not saying you've lost your salvation, but I'm saying you better repent. Perhaps you're in here, and you've been in church your whole life, and you I've never known the Spirit in this way. So we keep asking questions. Paul says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said no. We didn't even hear there was a Holy Spirit. I think, unfortunately, a lot of the church did not does not know that They say, oh, well, we know that we confess that there's a Holy Spirit, but we think he's kind of like some weird uncle we don't talk about. Like he's Yeah, we haven't, we're not sure about him. So Paul says, into what were you baptized? Into what then were you baptized? If, they didn't, if you didn't receive the Spirit, into what have you been baptized? Were you simply baptized into the name of some pastor, or some evangelist, or revivalist, or someone who presented a message you liked, and it affected your emotions. Maybe they helped you realize you were a sinner. Maybe they scared you to the point where you're like, I don't want to go to hell. That just sounds like a really bad place. I don't want to do that, so I'll follow you, whatever you're saying. Maybe they put you in a position to say, if you died today, where would you be? And you say, well, I don't know, but I definitely don't want to be in that place, so I want to go to heaven. And you prayed a prayer, but you never counted the cost of following Christ. You've never felt the presence of God. You've never known the freedom in Jesus. You're stuck in the same old thinking that you need to measure up. You've never even attempted to flee the old life. You never attempted to live the new. You have no real desire to read the word or to pray or to fellowship with believers. So the question remains, into what were you then baptized? And how you answer that question, how you answer that question, if you're baptized into an idea or a strong personality or the fear of hell, know that none of those things will save you. You must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul says. He doesn't say, well, that's good enough. You're you're probably fine. He says, let me tell you what John baptized you in. He baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. Verse 5, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. J.I. Packer, he says that baptism into Jesus' name is the total renunciation of independence as a way of living, okay? This is how I used to live, making all my own decisions, doing what I want to do, what this is what feels good, and it's a total submission to the rule of the risen Lord. That is being baptized into Christ. Baptism, is, it's, it means being immersed into something. We saw Isabel be immersed into the freezing cold water. We watched that happen. It's, that's what baptism means. And we're immersed into water. We're showing that we acknowledge I have died with Christ. The old life is dead. And when I come out, I'm new. I want to follow Jesus. That's what baptism is saying. Now, everything I do is immersed in Christ. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Before our faith in Jesus, we were immersed in something. Every single one of us were immersed in something, usually our own desire. Whatever I wanted, that's what I was immersed in. But when we are baptized in the name of Jesus, we're renouncing that, saying, I don't live that way anymore, I'm immersing myself into Jesus Christ, like Paul says, to live is Christ. That's what I'm doing. So what does that look like? The New Testament pictures Jesus in three offices, prophet, priest, and king. So whenever I'm baptized into Jesus, I'm acknowledging that he's the prophet over my life. He's, he is prophet, as we see in Matthew 17, 5. As he was still speaking, this is the amount the tr- the of... Um, thank you. This is the transfiguration. I was trying to... Stuck on the mountain they were on. Um, he is speaking, and a bright cloud overshadows them. And he said, God, the Father, says, This is my son whom I am well pleased, if you feel good enough about it, listen to him. No, listen to him. It is not a suggestion. It is an outright command. Listen to him. He is the voice in the very image of God to us. We strive to listen to his word, to study his word, to pray his word, to meditate on his word. When we're baptized into the name of Jesus, we're announcing him as priest. And we trust that he is our mediator. He is the one who offers himself as a sacrifice to purify us before God Almighty. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The sacrifice who cleanses us from our sin the one we can run to when we need mercy and grace and help in time of need. That is announcing him as our priest. And when we're baptized in the name of Jesus, we're renouncing or announcing him as our king, as Lord over our lives. Jesus says, come to me. This doesn't have anything to do with what I'm about to say. I'm going to read it anyways. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That is how we come to him as priest also. But as king, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? If we are immersed in Jesus as our Lord, as our savior, we do what he says because we have acknowledged you are God. And why would I not do what he tells me to do? If you claim Jesus as your Lord and savior, you can't just say, I pray to prayer and live how I want You've announced him as savior. This is why James says, faith without works, it's dead. So is this the baptism you know? Perhaps you believe this and you've backslidden. I would say repent this morning and receive forgiveness. Jesus is gracious, he's ready and willing to forgive. He wants you to turn to remember. He uh, constantly in the Bible, he's saying remember, remember, remember. But pursue Jesus and his word with your whole heart. Maybe you've thought, I've been a disciple my whole life, but I've been shown this morning that I've never actually believed that. Do not harden your heart this morning. Some may think, what will others think of me? I've been in this church my whole life. What will they think of me? I want you to hear me this morning. Who cares? Who cares? On the day of judgment, they will not be standing next to you, vouching. He's a pretty good, dude. You should let him in. Their opinion is not going to save you at all. Jesus is extending grace this morning. Do not turn from him. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and then that's going to reveal to us evidences of the Holy Spirit. Verse six, when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There are about 12 men in all. The first evidence of the Holy Spirit is the confirmation of the church. Paul lays his hands on them. He doesn't have magic hands you have special gloves on that release the Holy Spirit. That's not what he's doing. It's not some magic thing. All it is, is Paul is saying, I've preached the gospel. They have responded to the gospel. I'm agreeing and I'm acknowledging that they confessed the true gospel and accepting them as brothers in Christ. Too often we make salvation this personal thing between me, it's between me and Jesus. Your baptism is not only announcing your faith in Jesus and your desire to follow him. It's saying, I'm part of the body of Christ, united with other believers in the name of Jesus. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The confirmation of the church is important because it is ensuring that you have heard the true gospel. Another evidence is worship. These believers, they speak in tongues. We revealed that that's not normal for every believer, but if you just look at the 3,000 in Acts 2, how they respond, this is how they worship. This is how they respond. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. They were part of the church. That is an evidence that you have received the spirit. Church, if you're truly baptized in Jesus' name, if you have the spirit of God, he is is residing in you. You will be a a person of worship. You have had your eyes open to the wonderful mystery of the gospel. Your eyes have been opened to know God Almighty, the good Father, Jesus as prophet, as priest, as king, the one who will destroy all evil, the one who is indwelling you by his spirit, who cries out inside you, Abba, Father. You will be a person of worship. You cannot have the spirit of God and not worship. You may fail to worship at times. You may have a really crummy day. You may even grow lazy and apathetic, but your heart inside of you is saying, I need to worship my king. Another evidence is speaking the gospel message. You'll have this desire to tell people what Jesus has accomplished in you. You might not know how to share that message, but you say, man, I really want to share it. I really want to tell people. Uh, you may be afraid to tell others. You have this longing inside you to tell them. And at times, the message is just going to come out of you. It's going to boil out of you. Sometimes in crisis, you're just going to say, let me tell you the hope that I have in Jesus Christ. In need, when people are hurting, let me pray for you. Let me, let me proclaim the good news over you. The Spirit of God will use you to speak the gospel to others. And being discipled is another evidence. Look at verse 9. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Thyranius. These 12 men, it it probably, we wanna attach that to the 12 apostles. Um, That's not the connection. More than likely, all Luke is saying, these 12 men means 12 families, which means a lot of people. A lot of people followed Paul. And we know that the ministry in Ephesus was very successful. So what he's saying is they were discipled. They followed Paul, they did what he was doing. The Christian is not singled out as an individual. They're one who is welcomed into a family. They're part of what God is doing in that family. And finally, the evidence of the Spirit in the church is the community hears the gospel. Look at verse 10. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord both Jews and Greeks. That is an incredible statement. All, he doesn't say most, all of the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Why? Because they're working together. They've united together. They're spreading the gospel together. But as you fulfill the spirit-given gift in your life. You'll hear the gospel. You will, you will spread the kingdom of God with your brothers and sisters and see the kingdom grow. And then really quickly, I want to look at evidences that you've rejected the gospel. Verse eight. Paul entered the synagogue for three months, spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them. And we'll stop there. You've heard the word. This is how you know if you've rejected the gospel and you've rejected the spirit. You've heard the word and you've continued in unbelief. you Find yourself speaking evil of the way, speaking evil of Christianity, speaking evil of churches, denying Jesus before others. Um, We see Jesus says, whoever denies me before men, I will deny before the father, (coughs) excuse me, before the father who is in heaven. Speaking evil of the church, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother, and that means Christian brother, is still in darkness. And there's a warning. He withdrew from them. It will be a time when you hear the message no longer. When God gives you over, his wrath is seen in Romans one as, I'll let you do what you wanna do. We're gonna have a time of response this morning, a time to come here and pray with an elder, a time um, to to pray right here, a time to sit down and pray. I think we need to respond. I think we need to realize what what God is doing because I believe there are some who've been living more as disciples of John, (coughs) excuse me, than disciples of Jesus. I encourage you, if you feel like you've never truly followed Jesus, never received the Holy Spirit come this morning, I encourage you, if you've neglected to be baptized, to come this morning. He, he, the Lord commands us to observe baptism. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid that I've just stepped in this church today or I've been here for 80 years. It doesn't matter. Come this morning. If you need to repent for quenching the Spirit, come this morning. If the Spirit is speaking to you this morning, do not harden your hearts. I'm going to pray, and the worship team is going to sing. I would call you to respond, whatever that looks like. Let's pray. Father God, you are so patient with us. You endure so much false teaching or soft teaching of the gospel. God, I pray that you would Wake up your people. That you would breathe the breath of life into them. That you would save the unbeliever. That you would turn back the the unrepentant. God, we want to glorify you. Jesus, we acknowledge you are our Savior, but you are not just saving us from hell. You are making us look like you, you are making us a kingdom of priests. You are calling us to be obedient. You are calling us to make disciples. So, Lord, we ask this morning that you would move in a mighty way. We love you. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next unpacking of the Word of God. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 541-756-2591 or email us at pray at hauserchurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H dot O-R-G. Our address is 69411 Wildwood Road, North Bend, Oregon. 97459. Remember, if you're seeking the truth, it will set you free. And that truth is Jesus Christ.